0: Good morning to each of you, whether you are here in the building or whether you're worshiping with us online, we are absolutely thrilled that you are with us. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Alan. I'm uh, the senior pastor here and one of the elders, and we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. Hopefully when you came in the building, if you did come in the building, you picked up a copy of the worship guide. On the back of the worship guide is a place to take notes. And if you are worshiping from home or even here in the building, you can still look at the uh, worship guide online at lhbc.net. As Ricky said, there's all kinds of things happening in the life of our church uh, this week. And most of them are asking you to register either online or through our church center app. And you may not know what all that means, and I'm not really sure how to sign up. The good news is uh, this morning, whenever church is dismissed... There'll be someone right out there in the entryway at a little table that says registration help. And if you need help registering for any of our events or anything tech related, uh, be sure and stop by and ask for some help. We are this year walking through the New Testament as a church family. We're calling this whole year Foundations New Testament. And we're not necessarily reading from Matthew all the way through Revelation. Instead, we're reading all of the New Testament, kind of jumping around at different places because we're kind of doing it chronologically, kind of, sort of. And uh, so this week, we have started reading in the Gospel of Mark. If you're very familiar with the New Testament, you probably are aware of the fact there are four accounts They all tell the same story, but there's four different authors that tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, this week we've started reading in the book of Mark, and you may be wondering, well, I don't know exactly where we are in the reading. I've got good news for you. On the bottom of your your sermon notes, you'll see what we're reading this week, which is Mark 5 through 9, and then also right out there on a rack in the entryway or the hallway, there is a reading guide that you can pick up and utilize as well. We are starting a new series today, and you can see the graphic on the screen. It's called Servant King. We, we will talk in just a moment why we chose that as a title. But before I get to that, I wanted to ask you, does the name Jack Bauer mean anything to you? It does, a little bit? Um, if you know him very well, you've experienced nine days of that guy's life. Those nine days of his life feels like about 20,000 years in other people's lives because the premise of the television show on Fox through the 2000s, they had nine seasons of this where Jack Bauer was a counter-terrorist agent and he experienced everything under the sun in a 24-hour period and each episode was one-hour segment supposedly of real life. I don't know how the dude kept his job like it was a round-the-clock job the dude never gets to sleep and he's constantly fighting the bad guys he's he's constantly dealing with presidential assassination attempts bomb detonations bioterrorism cyber warfare and conspiracies of all kinds of manners I don't know how one dude could get into that much stuff in a single 24-hour day but he did it and was quite good at it. You may be wondering, why in the world is Alan talking about 24 and Jack Bauer? Here's the reason. Because in many ways, I see, as I read the Gospel of Mark, it is the 24 version of the life of Jesus. And what I mean by that is, just as that show kept going, it was action-packed, and it was constant, nonstop action, that's exactly how the Gospel of Mark is. Here's a couple of interesting things about the Gospel of Mark. He is constantly going as fast as he can to the next scene, and the way he does that is he uses the word immediately. There's this idea of we're going from point A to point B as quickly as we can. The word immediately is used 36 times in the book of Mark. It's used nine times in chapter 1, which is what we're going to be looking at today, and then we're looking at... 10 verses from chapter 1, and in those 10 verses, he uses the word immediately two times. And then I was extremely intrigued to do this one. Uh, And I'm not a grammar person, but as far as I know, I'm looking at one of my friends out there that teaches. I don't think you're supposed to start a sentence with the word and, are you? Like, that's a weird way to start a sentence. Did you know that in the Gospel of Mark, the word and starts a sentence 367 times in the book? 26 times in chapter 1 alone, 9 times in the passage we're going to look at today. So basically, every other verse in the book of Mark starts with the word, and. You're like, and? Why does that matter? This is why. He links all of those things together. He goes from point A to point B. It's a constant story. It's not a segmented story. He's constantly on the move. And Mark is telling us what really matters in the life of Jesus. And as he does that, as Jesus is constantly, immediately going from point A to point B, and this and links story to story, we see that Jesus is presented and painted as, he's painted as the, um, uh, as the servant king. You see, Jesus, the king of all, as we've sung about this morning, came to this earth in order to serve us and to serve others, ultimately serving By giving his life as a ransom for many. In fact, you may want to jot down kind of the theme verse of Mark is Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which I just quoted a little bit of it a moment ago. Jesus came as a servant who would die for us and therefore is the servant king. Chapter 1 i would encourage you to open your bibles to mark chapter one if you don't have a bible with you maybe it's on your phone or maybe you need to pick up a bible out in our entryways you can grab one that's our gift to you You can take it home with you but mark chapter one open your bible with us to that chapter chapter one starts very quickly did you know that mark doesn't even tell the birth story of jesus he just jumps to the point immediately and in the first 21 verses of his book He tells us that Jesus was baptized by John, that he spent time in the wilderness and was tempted by Satan, that he called his disciples and he taught in the synagogue, all within the first 21 verses of of Mark. So we're going to pick up the story this morning at at verse 21, and we're going to look and see how Jesus lived a 24-hour period on this particular occasion. So I've titled the message, A Day in the life of Jesus. You may want to look at your text there. I'm not going to read verses 21 through 29, but you'll see that in verses 21 through 29, we see that Jesus walks into the synagogue in Capernaum. Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee. If you're very familiar with Israel, it's the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is on the northern shore of that sea. It's in the area known as Galilee, not just the Sea of Galilee, but that region is referred to as Galilee. Jesus shows up in Capernaum, walks into the synagogue. He begins to preach and teach. And it says that the people were amazed and astonished because he taught as one with authority. And then Jesus saw that there was a man with an unclean spirit, and he healed that man. And so all of a sudden, they're amazed all the more. And it says there in verse 29 that his popularity or his fame was spread instantaneously. Now I want us to pick up the story by reading in verse 29 and go through verse 39. And you'll see the word and starts this section because it ties back to the verses that were before it. On that day of of Sabbath, it says they immediately and immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon, who's also Peter, it's the same guy. He entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, so four of his disciples. This is all the disciples he's called to this point because it's early in his ministry. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him, Jesus, about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I mentioned where Capernaum was. It's on, it, it still is. It's on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, back uh, I don't know, almost 30 years ago now, I had the privilege of standing in the city of Capernaum. And when I got there, there, the synagogue had been unearthed. And so you're able to see kind of the remains of the synagogue. And you turn around and about 100 feet from the synagogue is, is this big church it has been built over some other ruins. It's kind of lifted up kind of on stilts. And under these ruins that are being protected is what is probably most likely Simon's house. And so right there within eyeball of of the synagogue is Simon's house there. Jesus was utilizing Peter's home as his headquarters, if you will, uh, in Galilee. And so after the synagogue service, Jesus and his disciples did what most of us do. We leave the building looking for something to eat, right? They're hungry. So they walk this short distance over to Peter's house. They walk in the door. There's a problem. They can't eat lunch because Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And so we see how Jesus shows himself both as servant and as king. On your notes, you'll see the first point that I have, and that is that Jesus tirelessly served others by responding to needs as he encountered them. So in verse 31, we see that he's encountered a need. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick and needs to be healed. It's not, no, don't get me wrong. He's not healing her just so he can have a hot lunch. he's Healing her because she needs this healing. So whenever he sees a need, he encounters it and he seeks to meet it. Look down in verse 31 with me. Verse 31 describes what he did when he went to Simon Peter's mother-in-law. It says, he came, he took her by the hand, he lifted her up and the fever left her. With Jesus time and time again... We see the compassion, the love, the grace, and the mercy that he offers to everyone that he encounters. And in this scenario, he encounters a woman with a high fever, and whenever you look at the other Gospels and kind of spend the time to read what it says about how he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, we see some things that come into play. We see that Jesus comes and he stands close to her. But he doesn't just stand close to her, he doesn't just speak to be healed, but he reaches out and gently touches her hand. And then he actually speaks over the fever and rebukes the fever, telling the fever to leave her, and then he gently raises her up. So I want you to see, here is Jesus seeing a need, and he lovingly, compassionately meets that need. I don't want us to camp out too long here because this is not the only thing in this passage. But I want to ask you, what in your life is a need that you have today? Where are you hurting? Where are you grieving? Where are you confused? Where do you need to go and yet you don't know where to go? What are you dealing with in your life what baggage are you carrying with you i'm here to say that whatever you are facing that the servant king jesus christ loves you he has compassion for you he wants to meet your need now i want to be real careful here what is your definition of a need because his definition may not match yours And he will answer your prayer maybe not exactly like you want it answered. If you know me very well, I've been praying for something diligently for 20 plus years. And God has not yet answered it. But by golly, this year, God's team, the Cowboys, are going to win the Super Bowl. I have confidence. In all reality, the Cowboys winning a ball game is not a need of mine. And so I'm not saying that Jesus is your magic genie, rub the lamp, and he has to meet your need. I am saying whatever your need is, physically, relationally, uh, fellowship-wise, financially, pray, and he will begin to meet your need even if it doesn't fit your expectations. Does that make sense? So I'm not wanting to paint a picture of Jesus that's incorrect. I am saying that his grace is sufficient to meet your need and he is ready to provide that grace to you. So on this particular day, there is a great anticipation in the air. If you and I had been on that day in Capernaum and we were living the life of Jack Bauer from like noon until 6 p.m., the anticipation is rising and rising and rising. Why is the anticipation? Why are they so excited in the city of Capernaum from noon until 6? Because they just got back from synagogue, which is kind of like church. They just got back from synagogue. They're talking about how this dude was in town and how he preached and how incredible his teaching was. And not only that, he healed a guy. And then through the windows of neighbors, they began to hear the rumors that Jesus had also healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law who is this guy i don't know who he is but i've got a need maybe he'll need it meet it and something incredible is going to happen today you're like well why didn't they just go do something it's noon go do something about it no they waited until 6 p.m to do something about it look down in verse 32 it says that evening it's sundown they brought to him who all who were sick or oppressed by demons Don't just read past this verse. Don't just read past the word sundown. There's an important reason why the word sundown is used. Not because Mark wants us to know what time of the day it was, just because. Rather, sundown in the Hebrew day was a very important time period. The Hebrew calendar has each day of the week beginning and ending at sunset. Basically 6 p.m. So whenever we say our day kind of begins at midnight, when we're all asleep or should be asleep, their day begins and ends at 6 p.m. And so here's Jesus. He had done all of this on the, on the sabbath day the jewish law said on the sabbath day you weren't to travel you weren't to go do a lot of things you weren't to go further than x number of feet from your house that's kind of what the rabbis added to the law and they couldn't do anything but by golly as soon as that sun was set they were out the front door to go find this jesus guy and so as soon as the sun went down. It's no longer Sabbath, it's no longer Saturday, now it's Sunday. And so they come like a train of people constantly to the front door, knocking on the door. Simon Peter, is, is Jesus here? Is Jesus here? He's got to heal me. I, I, I'm sick, I'm sick, I need help. And, and you look at this story there in verse, uh, let's see, verse 32 or 33, I've got to find it. Verse 32 says, that evening at sundown they brought to him... That word brawn, again, I'm not a grammar dude, but I do know that the word there in the Greek is an imperfect tense, and the imperfect tense means ongoing action. So it's not like 12 people show up, hey, Jesus, could you heal these guys? No, no, like if person after person after person after person after person, they are gathering there at Simon Peter's house. In fact, look at the next verse. It says that the whole city was gathered at the door. Now, in some sense, this is hyperbole. I don't think 100% of the residents of Capernaum are standing on the front porch like sardines, but I do believe that there's a huge number of people pressing in. I'm looking at one of my friends down here that watches this thing called football. I, like, my football is American football, but my friend down here likes football. That's, this round ball's got white and black spots on it, right, Brian? Okay, soccer, is that what it's called? Okay, all right, so. Have you ever seen a soccer match in some of these nations that love soccer? Like, literally, it's not funny, but literally people can get trampled all over because they're pressing in to get to the ball game. It's that kind of picture on the front porch of Simon's house there in Capernaum that day. Everyone is there. Jesus is here. This dude who is a servant, who maybe is a king, although we know he is, is here, and maybe he'll meet my needs guys, I want you to see that Jesus, the servant king, when he sees a need, he meets that need. They didn't start coming until sundown, right? I don't know what time it was on the clock, but I'm anticipating it's probably past midnight before the last person leaves the front porch. Jesus has had a... Very busy day in ministry. As a pastor, and I'm not Jesus, but as a pastor, I know what a Sunday can be like. And Jesus has had one of those Sabbath day busy days. I've often heard some of my mentors say, Hey, never resign your church on a Monday because Sundays are just so crazy busy, and you may have a skewed view of how life is going because you're overwhelmed and tired and exhausted. Jesus had one of those days. But because he came as a servant, he didn't see these ministry opportunities opportunities as troublesome or burdensome. Instead, he sought to meet them. Can I ask you all a question? When someone stands before you with a need in their life and they're coming to you for help, do you see them as a burden Or do you see them as a person that God loves and that he may be planning to use you to help meet that need? When you see a need around you, I said when Jesus sees a need, he encounters a need, he meets it. What about you? Do you meet the need and serve the person? Or if somebody has a need, do you quickly turn your face and avoid them like the plague? Because you don't have the energy, the time, or the desire to help them. You see, Jesus models the life of servanthood, and we're to do the same thing. I want us to apply a few things real quickly about this idea of being a servant. When you see a need, do you meet that need? Let me list three ways that you potentially will see needs, and I want to challenge you and encourage you to meet those needs. Here's the first one, in no particular order. The first one. When you see needs in the church, do you step up to the plate and meet those needs? Did you know that as more and more people come on Sunday mornings, there are needs for more and more guys and gals who are members of the church to serve in preschool. There's need for more and more people to serve in children's ministry and infusion. Did you know that as more and more uh, things are sent out into the internets, we need more people to help us send that out, right? Like camera operators and, and tech people. Did you you know that there are lots of ways that you can serve in this church? I encourage you, if you're a member of Living Hope Baptist Church, if you have been pressed on pause for a long time and not serving anywhere, it is time to step up to the plate and meet those needs. When Jesus saw a need, he encountered that need and he met it. We, as the body of Christ here at Living Hope, cannot do all that God is calling us to do unless we all play our role. I'm challenging you to rise to the occasion, serve, uh, sign up to serve in one of our ministry areas. If you don't know where to serve, stop by the registration desk. They might tell you a few places to serve. Catch one of the staff, catch a deacon, catch one of our interim elders, ask where you can serve, we'll help you find a place. Here's a second way that you can encounter needs and meet them. What about in your hope group? In your hope group, there are many families. Is there a need in one of your families? Are they going through a difficult time? Are they struggling financially? Are they looking for a job? Are they needing advice? Are they needing babysitters? Are they needing companionship? Are they needing relationships? Stop hearing their need and do nothing about it. Step out and meet that need. We are the church family. We should rally around those in our hope group and love them and serve them well and show them the compassion and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And along those lines, if you're not in a hope group, You are missing out. Jump in a hope group. Again, stop by by my friend in the registration table today and sign up for a hope group. That's another way that you can meet needs and have your needs met. Here, let me list the third one. What about when you're walking your dog? What about when you're mowing your grass? What about when you're washing your car? What about when you're standing in your driveway? What about when you're chatting with your neighbor? Have your ears open. Have your eyes open. And when you hear a need from your neighbor, meet that need in the name of Jesus Christ. We've got to serve to show the world what the servant king looks like. All too often, though, we see people as an interruption. A couple of days ago, I was sitting in my office, uh, feverishly working on my sermon. Somebody unannounced stopped by my office and said, hey, Alan, could you pray for me? I could have said, yeah, sure thing, I'll do it, and let them walk out the door and get back to my sermon, or I could interact with them some. I said, sure, I can pray for you. Do you mind telling me how I can pray for you? They hesitated at first, and then they just regurgitated all of this heaviness of a crisis that they're in and I was blown away by what they needed me to pray for them about but if I had seen that person as an interruption I would have hurried right past it and not saw a need and attempt to meet it there was nothing I could do in the moment but I could get up walk over to them put my hand on them and pray over them for God's grace and protection Guys, gals, we are called by Jesus to meet the needs of those around us. So that's my first point. Let's go to the second one. What do you think Jesus did after a busy day of ministry? Surely he set his iPhone to wake him up at 10 a.m. the next morning so he could sleep in because he was so, so tired. Like, Surely that's what he did. Look down at verse 35. That's not what Jesus did at all. Verse 35, and rising, there's that word and, it ties back to the previous one, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Why did he do this? Why did he go up, get up so early while it was still dark? Guys, there's probably an indication that this is, get this, 3 a.m., maybe 4 a.m. at the latest. Jesus is waking up at 3 or 4 a.m. after healing all night so that he can go out and spend time in prayer. Why is Jesus doing that? It's because it's what empowers him to do the thing that he came to do. Look at the second point. Jesus remained focused on his kingdom mission by making time for prayer. Yes, Jesus came to serve. And yes, one of those ways to serve was to heal people. But guys, this is not the reason ultimately that Jesus came. Ultimately, Jesus did not come to be enamored by popularity and success. He didn't come to be giving in to this temptation to take the shortcut, to have prestige and honor from a worldly standpoint. But instead, he came to preach and announce that a kingdom is coming. And that's his kingdom. I firmly believe that while Jesus is fully God, he is also fully man. We know that's biblically true. And I firmly believe that Jesus in his humanity side could have given in to popularity and success. But that's not what his focus was. His focus was the kingdom of God and to maintain his focus he had to spend time with his father in prayer. This empowered him to remember why he came. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God. His greatest service was not healing people. His greatest service was to reveal the kingdom of God and to die in our place. So he had to be re-energized to go do that very thing. I would encourage you this. If God in the flesh, Jesus Christ could not go through life without pausing and spending time with his Father in communion and in prayer, then what makes us think as humans that we can go through life without praying? This morning, my challenge is not just serve those around you. My challenge this morning is it's time for us to get serious about praying to the Lord in order that we might be empowered for the mission that he is sending us out on. Some of you may be saying, oh, but Alan, I'm constantly praying. I mean, I'm thinking about Jesus all day long. My question is, do you ever have an intentional stopping point, focused time in prayer? Because don't fool yourself into thinking, well, I'm living in an attitude of prayer all day long to settle with you. Instead, we need regular, intentional times of communion with the Father. And these prayer times, guys, should not be about a grocery list give me this, give me that, do this for me, make this go well, give me a job, give me lots of money, let my Cowboys win another game this year, all of these things. It's not a grocery list of things and desires and wants, but instead, it's a time alone with God to bask in his presence and in his love. If you're married, think about your relationship with your spouse. Is it a healthy relationship if every time you get together and you say, and another thing I need you to do for me is, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. Don't get me wrong, sometimes we do talk about business things we have to cover. But what is it like if we sit just with our spouse and enjoy that love relationship with our spouse? How much more so is that how it should be with the Heavenly Father basking in His presence? But in order for us to spend time in prayer, we've got to get rid of some excuses. Here's some excuses. You may even want to jot down some of these and some answers to these these excuses. The first excuse, I use it all too often, and I guarantee it. You probably do as well. Here it is. But I'm just too busy. Like, I don't have time to slow down and pray. That's why I'm in an attitude of prayer all day long. I just can't slow down and pray. You ever heard of a guy by the name of Martin Luther? Here's what he said. I'm not advocating that you should pray as many hours necessarily as he did, but listen to what Martin Luther said. I have so much to do that if I don't spend at least three hours a day in prayer, I would never get it all done. I'm not saying go pray for three hours, but I am saying correct this idea of I'm too busy to pray to see that you are actually too busy not to pray. If I'm not careful, I'll come in tunnel vision, I'm going, I don't have time to pray, I don't have time to read my Bible, I've gotta, I gotta write a sermon, I don't have time to read my Bible or pray, come on. You should see the irony in that statement. But the reality is we should never be so busy that we can't pray. In order to manage our busyness, we need time in prayer. Here's the second excuse we use. It's pretty valid. But we've got to do something about it. It's impossible to pray when my family is awake. Can I hear an amen? I've got four kids. The youngest two just happen to be boys and happen to have all kinds of energy. We got two dogs. And we just got a brand new dog. And that second one has all kinds of energy. She, he's a puppy. And like, anyway, how am I going to pray? Because everyone's awake. So maybe here's my solution. Maybe you need to wake up at 5 a.m. Maybe you need to stay up till midnight. I don't know. Do one or the other and make some time for prayer. Here's another excuse we use. I'm just distracted by the television. I'm distracted by the computer. I'm distracted by other things at my house, and I just can't focus. Well, here's my solution for that. Go on a walk. Pray as you walk. Go to a park. Sit in the park and pray. Go to your closet. Close the door. Don't take the television or phone in there with you and spend some time in prayer in the closet. Find some different location. Guys, it's time for us to stop making excuses. I'm too busy to pray. Absolutely not. Everybody's away. I can't pray. Make a solution. I'm distracted. Find the solution to get away from the distraction. Guys, it's time for us to pray. Verses 36 and 37. It's interesting because Jesus is away praying. Everybody's freaking out. It says in 36, Simon and everybody around him is looking for him. And in verse 37, they finally find Jesus. But what I want us to see is this. When Jesus didn't show up the next morning to go on the next healing crusade, everybody freaks out. Like the people in town are going, I need Jesus to do something for me today. What have you done for me lately? You've got to do something today. They're looking for it. The disciples are going, Jesus, come on, you're our ticket to notoriety and fame and success. We're riding high on the enthusiasm of the day before. Jesus, where are you at? So it says that the disciples frantically searched for him. That word in verse 36, searched, has this idea of being frantic said a moment ago, I got four kids, two of the youngest are boys. I'm not a mama, but I know there's a lot of mamas out here. Can you relate to this, mamas? I've seen this with Ashley. The girl cannot go anywhere in the house without the super sleuths finding her. It doesn't matter where she goes. It doesn't matter what door is closed. It doesn't matter if she's in the bathroom or asleep or on the phone or trying to get something done. My boys can find her. Why? because they want a snack, they want to play a video game, they want something, and they're after her to find her. They walk right past me, I can't do anything for them, they go to her, need some ice cream. She scoops up bigger scoops than I do. But that's the same kind of thing that's going on this day. The people are frantically looking for Jesus because they want something from him. And then even the disciples, look at 37, they actually rebuked Jesus. Th- this is a form of a rebuke. When they found Jesus, the disciples said, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. This is how that translates into the English. Jesus, what are you thinking? We don't have time for prayer. Come on, it's time to get busy. That's exactly what's going on here. But Jesus, because he had been fueled by his prayer with the Father, is now ready to go and take care of kingdom business. Look at the last point on your notes. Jesus came to preach the kingdom and nothing would stop him from doing so. So here's the disciples. They're saying, hey, guys, Jesus, everybody in town's looking for you. It's time to go. We've got to go do our stuff again. Jesus says, no. Guys, I didn't come for some kind of parade. I came for another purpose. Look down in verse 38 and 39. 38 describes what he's come to do. 39 tells him about him doing it. Jesus said to them, Let's go on to the next towns. We're not going to stay here. We're not going to stay in Capernaum. I'm not going to heal more here today. Let's go on to the next towns. Why? That I may preach there also. for that is why I came out. And then 39 is a bit of a summary. They went all throughout sorry, Galilee, and he preached in their synagogues and cast out demons. See, Jesus did not come as a wonder worker. Yes, he did wonders. But Jesus came to serve. He came to serve others and proclaim the gospel. So as important as it is to serve, as vital as it is to prioritize prayer, we've got to step out and proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear it. Yes, Jesus healed people back then. Yes, Jesus still heals people today. Yes, Jesus met needs back then and served people, and yes, he does the same today, but the most important healing that he's interested in is spiritual healing. And in verse 38, when he says, I've got to go out and preach, that actually ties back to verses 14 and 15. Would you look back in Mark 1, 14 and 15? These are the first recorded words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. And when he begins his ministry... He makes it clear what his ministry was going to be all about. It says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus, he's talking about John the Baptist, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So he came to proclaim the gospel, and here is the gospel. Here's the words of Jesus. The gospel is, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so when Jesus went out to preach, that is the message he came to preach. He came to preach the gospel. He came to call people to repentance. And he called people to believe it. So do you mind if I share with you just for a moment what the gospel is all about? The gospel is the good news that God has solved a sin problem in our lives. That we might be forgiven of our sins and be put right in a relationship with him. You see, the Bible is very clear that 100% of us, all people of all times, of all locations, of all cultures, have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and expectation. The Bible says that God is holy and perfect, and that because he's holy and perfect, he can have nothing to do with sin. And yet, as human beings, time after time after time, we thumb our noses at God. We tell him, I don't care what you have to say. Like, you don't tell me what to do. I'm going to live my life how I want to live my life. And we disobey God by doing the things he tells us not to do and by refusing to do the things he's calling us to do. Instead of spending time with him in prayer to do things our own way, we, we just live life, if it feels good, do it yolo you only live once go out and enjoy the life that god has given to us or that we've created on our own that kind of thing the bible says that sin is disobedience to god bible says all of us are sinners god's word is clear there's nothing that you and i can do to be made right with god but alan i came to church like the last four weeks in a row surely that gives me some brownie points with god Uh, but but alan i was i was baptized as an infant Uh, but alan i was dedicated as a child but alan i i I raised my hand one day when the preacher asked me if I, i wanted to avoid hell like i'm a good person i've done these various things none of those bring salvation the only way to be made right with god is to trust in this servant king jesus christ who came and lived a perfect life Never sinned a day in his life, and yet he was crucified on a cross, paid the price for our sin that we might be made right with him. But would you look at verse 15? It doesn't say the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand for everyone, so everybody have fun to be a part of the kingdom. No, it says the kingdom of God is at hand, and the only way to be in the kingdom of God is to repent. Repent. And believe in the gospel. So this morning, I ask you this question Do you know that you're a sinner? H- have you turned to God and repented of your sins? Repentance means to acknowledge that we're a sinner, to turn from our ways, to go God's way, to say yes to Him, to say, that he is our Lord and our King. Have you repented of your sin and do you believe in the gospel? I'd encourage you that if you've not made that decision that today would be the day that you would do that. There's a couple ways that you can do that. You can do that in your seat. You can ask God to forgive you of your sins. Trust in him and what Christ has done on your behalf. You can share that with us so that we can pray alongside of you. Uh, in a moment when I'm down here at down front, you can come and pray with me. You can pick up a connection card there in the chair in front of you and fill that out and say, hey, I'm interested in becoming a Christian. You can you can fill out, uh, the, the, you can use the QR code to do the same sort of thing. But my question to you today is would you say yes? Would you repent? and believe in the gospel today? Those of us that have trusted in Jesus, would we follow the model that Jesus has laid out before us he said that he came, that he needed to preach or proclaim the gospel. My question is, will you go out and proclaim the gospel? I'm, I'm kind of caught up on excuses today. So I've listed a few excuses on why maybe you and I would choose not to go out and share the gospel. And I'm going to tell you how to refute those excuses. The first one is this. Some of you go, but Alan, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not a scholar. Like, I'm not a theologian. I don't know enough about the doctrine. I don't know about theology enough. Let me study up for five more years, and then maybe I'll be ready to go out and tell others about Jesus. The answer is absolutely not when can you tell about Jesus the moment you accept Jesus as your savior you know what he did you know what salvation means you know what the gospel is go and be genuine genuine when you share with others what it means to trust in Jesus Christ you don't have to have all the answers I'm not saying don't study I'm not saying don't grow in your faith I'm saying don't hesitate to tell the gospel to other people did you know the most effective people in sharing the gospel are the people that are new to the faith because they have the the zeal the enthusiasm the excitement they know what it's like to be a sinner who's been forgiven stop making the excuse that i have to know everything go and tell the gospel to others here's another reason why we don't share the gospel because all too often we stop at serving others you're like but alan i'm supposed to serve people right Like I'm supposed to take a casserole to my next door neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. And because I took that casserole, then maybe they'll find out that the casserole was made with prayers over the top of it. And somehow they'll magically become a Christian. And we stop at serving others. We do a great job of serving others, but we're almost like the um, uh, united way of Christians. We just kind of serve people, but never tell anybody about the gospel message. Don't stop at serving. We should not serve only to proclaim the gospel, but as we serve it, as we serve others, we should look for opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Don't leave that piece off. And then the last thing that I think prevents people from proclaiming the gospel is we get caught up in all the extras. We get caught up in all these other things. We, we begin to debate all the minutiae of, of doctrine and, and what do you believe about predestination? Until we all agree on predestination, then, then, then I can't tell the gospel. What do you believe about the political system of the United States of America? How does it intersect with, with the life of, of a Christian? And where should a person vote and how should they vote and all of that? Let's talk about that. We get focused on secondary issues that are important, but they're still secondary issues to the gospel. We get involved in foolish arguments. We may even meet justice needs and we forget about telling the gospel. Don't get so caught up in all of the extras and not proclaim the gospel. People need to hear and believe the gospel. So, here's kind of my closing piece. We see a picture of the servant king Jesus in Mark chapter 1 today. We see a snippet of what the kingdom of God is like and how the kingdom of God is advanced. But we see in the life of Jesus that the kingdom of God is advanced through serving, the kingdom of God is advanced through praying, and the kingdom of God is advanced through proclamation. But even in that sense of sin of, of sorry, of of serving, praying, and proclaiming, Jesus has a priority and he prioritizes prayer and proclaiming the gospel over serving others because that's the way ultimately the kingdom of God is advanced by proclaiming to others. What about you? What are you prioritizing in your life? Is it all about you and your desires or is your life about advancing the kingdom of God? I listed some practical steps you can take in each of the three points, but I just wanted to highlight real quickly again the three points. First of all, look for ways to serve others. Look for ways to serve others, both inside the church and outside the church. Meet needs around you and meet them to the glory of God. Secondly, be intentional about prayer. Be intentional about prayer. And then third. Be intentional about proclaiming the gospel to everyone that you can. Let me talk for just a second on this intentionality and purpose. Some of you periodically will say, hey, Alan, I saw you running down Longmire, or it looked like you were trying to run, or I saw you doing whatever, right? Well, over the last several months, I have prioritized in my life that I've got to get more in better physical shape. And so, four to five days a week, I know that hopefully early in the morning, I'm putting on my running shoes, I'm running for 30 minutes, and come hell or high water, I do that very thing. Why? Because it's important to me. Why? Because I've prioritized it. Why? Because I've made it a discipline. But guys, if that discipline takes priority over praying and proclaiming the gospel, then I've got my priorities out of whack. And I can continue to do the exercise and learn from the priority I place here to then have the intentionality to do this other, and I can do both of them, but the question is, am I going to show as much tenacity about proclaiming the gospel, not just on Sunday mornings, but in my everyday conversations as I do with running? My question for you is, what has your lion's share of attention? Where is your priority? Do you need to switch some of that priority over to proclaiming the gospel, or do you just need to realize, hey, if I can do it in this area of my life, I can do it over here as well i don't know what god is calling you to do but i do know this he's calling us to seek about advancing the gospel jesus modeled for us how to do it by serving by praying and by proclaiming the gospel let's say yes to him let me pray for us